Chapter 4 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mirendo 07. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 2 by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 4. That Commonwealths have followed three methods for extending their power. Anyone who has read ancient history with attention must have observed that three methods have been used by republics for extending their power. One of these, followed by the old Etruscans, is to form a confederation of many states, wherein none has precedence over the rest in authority or rank, and each allows the others to share its acquisitions, as do the states of the Swiss League in our days, and as the Achaeans and Aetolians did in Greece in earlier times. And because the Etruscans were opposed to the Romans in many wars, that I may give a clearer notion of this method of theirs, I shall enlarge a little in my account of the Etruscan people. In Italy, before the Romans became supreme, the Etruscans were very powerful, both by sea and land, and although we have no separate history of their affairs, we have some slight records left us of them, and some indications of their greatness. We know, for instance, that they planted a colony to which they gave the name of Hadria, on the coast of the Upper Sea, which colony became so renowned that it lent its name to the sea itself which to this day by the Latins is called the Hadriatic. We know too that their arms were obeyed from the Tiber to the foot of the mountains which enclosed the greater part of the Italian peninsula, although two hundred years before Rome grew to any great strength they had lost their supremacy in the province now known as Lombardy of which the French had possessed themselves. For that people, whether driven by necessity or attracted by the excellence of the fruits and still more of the wine of Italy, came there under their chief Belovesus, and after defeating and expelling the inhabitants of the country, settled themselves therein, and there built many cities, calling the district Gallia, after the name they then bore, and this territory they retained until they were subdued by the Romans. These Etruscans, therefore, living with one another on a footing of complete equality when they sought to extend their power, followed that first method of which I have just now spoken. Their state was made up of twelve cities, among which were Chiusi, Vei, Friuli, Arezzo, Volterra and the like, and their government was conducted in the form of a league. They could not, however, extend their conquests beyond Italy, while even within the limits of Italy much territory remained unoccupied by them for reasons presently to be noticed. The second method is to provide yourself with allies or companions, taking heed, however, to retain in your own hands the chief command, the seat of government and the titular supremacy. This was the method followed by the Romans. The third method is to hold other states in direct subjection to you and not merely associated with you as companions, and this was the plan pursued by the Spartans and Athenians. Of these three methods, the last is wholly useless, as was seen in the case of the two states named, which came to ruin from no other cause than that they had acquired a dominion greater than they could maintain. For to undertake to govern cities by force, especially such cities as have been used to live in freedom, is a difficult and arduous task, in which you never can succeed without an army, and that a great one. 
But to have such an army, you must needs have associates who will help to swell the numbers of your own citizens. And because Athens and Sparta neglected this precaution, whatever they did was done in vain, whereas Rome, which offers an instance of the second of the methods we are considering, by attending to this precaution, reached a power that had no limit. And as she alone has lived in this way, so she alone has attained to this pitch of power. For joining with herself many states throughout Italy as her companions, who in most respects lived with her on a footing of equality, while, as has been noted, always reserving to herself the seat of empire and the titular command, it came about that these states, without being aware of it, by their own efforts and with their own blood, wrought out their own enslavement. For when Rome began to send armies out of Italy for the purpose of reducing foreign kingdoms to provinces and of subjugating nations who, being used to live under kings, were not impatient of her yoke and who, receiving Roman governors and having been conquered by armies bearing the Roman name, recognized no masters save the Romans, those companions of Rome who dwelt in Italy suddenly found themselves surrounded by Roman subjects and weighed down by the greatness of the Roman power, and when at last they came to perceive the mistake in which they had been living, it was too late to remedy it. So vast was the authority which Rome had then obtained over foreign countries, and so great the resources which she possessed within herself, having by this time grown to be the mightiest and best armed of states. So that although these her companions sought to avenge their wrongs by conspiring against her, they were soon defeated in the attempt and remained in a worse plight than before, since they too became subjects and no longer associates. This method then, as I have said, was followed by the Romans alone, but no other plan can be pursued by a republic which desires to extend its power, experience having shown none other so safe and certain. The method which consists in forming leagues, of which I have spoken above as having been adopted by the Etruscans, the Achaeans and the Aetolians of old, and in our own days by the Swiss, is the next best after that followed by the Romans, for, as in this way there can be no great extension of power, two advantages result. First, that you do not readily involve yourself in war, and second, that you can easily preserve any little acquisition which you may make. The reason why you cannot greatly extend your power is that as your league is made up of separate states with distinct seats of government, it is difficult for these to consult and resolve in concert. The same causes make these states careless to enlarge their territories, because acquisitions which have to be shared among many communities are less thought of than those made by a single republic which looks to enjoy them all to itself. Again, since leagues govern through general councils, they must needs be slower in resolving than a nation dwelling within one frontier. Moreover, we find from experience that this method has certain fixed limits beyond which there is no instance of its ever having passed, by which I mean that some twelve or fourteen communities may league themselves together, but will never seek to pass beyond that limit, for after associating themselves in such numbers as seem to them to secure their safety against all besides, they desire no further extension of their power, partly because no necessity compels them to extend, and partly because, for the reasons already given, they would find no profit in extending. For were they to seek extensions, they would have to follow one of two courses, 
either continuing to admit new members to their league, whose number must lead to confusion, or else making subjects, a course which they will avoid, since they will see difficulty in making them, and no great good in having them. Wherefore, when their number has so increased that their safety seems secured, they have recourse to two expedients, either receiving other states under their protection and engaging for their defence, parenthesis, in which way they obtain money from various quarters which they can easily distribute among themselves, end of parenthesis, or else hiring themselves out as soldiers to foreign states, and drawing pay from this or the other prince who employs them to carry out his enterprises, as we see done by the Swiss at the present day, and as we read was done in ancient times by certain of those nations whom we have named above. To which we have a witness in Titus Livius, who relates that when Philip of Macedon came to treat with Titus Quintius Flamininus, and while terms were being discussed in the presence of a certain Aetolian captain, this man coming to words with Philip, the latter taunted him with greed and bad faith, telling him that the Aetolians were not ashamed to draw pay from one side and then send their men to serve on the other so that often the banner of Aetolia might be seen displayed in two hostile camps. We see, therefore, that the method of proceeding by leagues has always been of the same character and has led always to the same results. We see, likewise, that the method which proceeds by reducing states to direct subjection has constantly proved a weak one and produced insignificant gains and that whenever these gains have passed a certain limit, ruin has ensued. And if the latter of these two methods be of little utility among armed states, among those that are unarmed, as is now the case with the republics of Italy, it is worse than useless. We may conclude, therefore, that the true method was that followed by the Romans, which is the more remarkable as we find none who adopted it before they did and none who have followed it since. As for leagues, I know of no nations who have had recourse to them in recent times except the Swiss and the Suevians. But to bring my remarks on this head to an end, I affirm that all the various methods followed by the Romans in conducting their affairs, whether foreign or domestic, so far from being imitated in our day, have been held of no account, some pronouncing them to be mere fables, some thinking them impracticable, others out of place and unprofitable, and so, abiding in this ignorance, we rest a prey to all who have chosen to invade our country. But, should it seem difficult to tread in the footsteps of the Romans, it ought not to appear so hard, especially for us Tuscans, to imitate the Tuscans of antiquity, who, if, from the causes already assigned, they failed to establish an empire like that of Rome, succeeded in acquiring in Italy that degree of power which their method of acting allowed, and which they long preserved in security with the greatest renown in arms and government, and the highest reputation for manners and religion. This power and this glory of theirs were first impaired by the Gauls, and afterwards extinguished by the Romans, and so utterly extinguished that of the Etruscan Empire, so splendid two thousand years ago, we have at the present day barely a record. This it is which has led me to inquire whence this oblivion of things arises, a question of which I shall treat in the following chapter. End of chapter 4